You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm excited today. I have an amazing man by the name of John Asaraf joining me here today. Uh, if you don't know who John is, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a guest star on the smash hit movie, The Secret, and is also featured in Quest for Success alongside Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. John, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Hey, it's great to be there. I absolutely love the name Addicted to Success. It's <laughs> great. If you're going to have any addictions, you might as well be addicted to success. 100%, 100%. That's right. Do you, do you help people with addictions? Like is that something that you, like in your line of work, are you uh, faced with people that have addictions and they're trying to remove them? Well, the truth is every human being is addicted. And the neuroscience research that my company does we do study addictions, emotional addictions. We study uh, all types of different addictions. And the thing to understand about addictions is there are some that are constructive or positive, and there are some that are destructive and not so positive. But when we really look inside the brain and we understand the neurochemistry of addiction, there are uh, biological reasons, physiological reasons, neurological reasons. All of that plays a part of our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors. And so when you start to understand the science of what are addictions, why do some people get addicted to sugar while others get addicted to salt? And why do some people get addicted to fat while other people get addicted to running? And there's a, an entire neurochemistry happening in the brain, no different than people who are listening to this, you know, uh, program or reading about it. You know, they're addicted to getting that fix of motivation and tools and tips and techniques that they believe will help them propel their lives forward. And to some degree, that's true. But there's also other components of are you behaving in ways that will help you achieve those goals and dreams in addition to having the motivation, the little spark that you need to really get you going? Yeah, beautiful answer, John. And you know, it's funny, actually, uh, a lot of people are chasing the motivation. Is it the wrong thing that they're chasing? Should they be chasing inspiration instead? Like, what's the difference there? Yeah, I look at motivation as your motive for action. And if you really look at, there are people who do things for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. So when you are motivated, you know, for short-term things, you are using a part of your brain that is like gunpowder. It easily fizzles out. But when you use a part of your brain that's tied to your highest social or moral or spiritual purpose. If you use things that really help you create and live the highest values and your highest level of identity that you want to have, then you're going to have something that is going to be inspiring to you. And if you focus on really amazing goals, they will actually move you, pull you towards them versus you having to say, oh, I really don't feel like doing this. It's too much work. It's I don't want to learn this. I don't want to change. I don't want to get up early and stay up late. When you're inspired, uh, you do whatever it takes. It's like playing, you know, as kids. Like, when does a kid want to come in, you know, from, from surfing? Or when does a kid want to come in from skateboarding? When does a kid want to come in from playing chess if that's what they love? Never. You know, they want to play music or do the things that they love to because something within them is pulling them towards that. And when people have to rely too much on motivation, I need motivation, like, Nobody has to motivate me to get out of bed in the morning because I get to do what I do. Mm -hmm. And I've taken, for me, the things that I'm passionate about, that I'm curious about, that I seek to know more about, 
and I've that's my hobby and and so I get to do that every day and then share what I learn with the world and so when somebody is feeling like they're lacking motivation chances are they haven't really identified what it is that stirs their soul so much that they'll get up in the middle of the night to find a solution for it that they'll get up in the middle of the night to teach or tell people about it and everybody has that within them but not a lot of people have been taught the process by which to find that which inspires them that's number one but then number two we have been dumbed down by most of our educational system to say that you know go to school get a degree you know and then have this job that you may or may not love but you'll have security hmm. well what about security of your spirit what about security of your passions what about security of trading your life for what you love what about those types of securities? And so I love to help people change the way they look at things so that what they look at changes. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for laying that out to us and explaining it because I think there is a, a big uh, misconception. Like a lot of people think they can just run off motivation and it's just not enough. Like, you know, duty motivation sounds like the highest level. That's what, where you should be at, right? Like chasing your purpose. Following yeah. through, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, inspired. You know, the the definition of of to inspire another person is to instill spirit into the mind of another. Mm. And if you think of spirit not as something religious, but if you think of spirit as the intelligence that permeates every human being and everything in the cosmos, then when you are driven from that place of fuller expression and expansion of your spirit. That's all it wants to do. It wants to grow and fulfill its absolute destiny. There you go. There you go. Do you know what I love about your work, John, is that you uh, you're, you dabble a lot in neuroscience and quantum physics, and you also have that spiritual side to it as well, which I think is really important. I think that's kind of where the world is going right now. What are some of the new scientific studies or researches that uh, help people releasing uh, to release the underlying issues that hold them back from achieving their success well that's a good question the the easiest way to answer that is that when we are younger we are basically born with a clean slate we really don't have you know any beliefs we don't have any habits we don't have any perceptions you know when we're born and through our schools, our teachers, our friends, our environment, our experiences, we start to formulate these patterns of what the world is like and what we are like. Then we develop our beliefs and our habits. And there's something in the world of neuroscience that was discovered probably about 15 years ago through some of the latest brain um, scan imaging technologies. and. It's the brain's ability to formulate new neural connections. And that's called neuroplasticity. But before we even get into neuroplasticity, there's something called automaticity. And automaticity is something that I'm fascinated with because when we do something through conscious effort, like learning how to walk, learning a new language, learning to ride a bike, learning how to surf, learning how to date, learning how to make money, learning a new skill and having a job, once we do it for 30, 60, 90, 180 days, depending on the difficulty level, our brain goes from utilizing a lot of energy to do that activity, whether it's thinking or feeling about it or actually the physical activity, mm. to an automatic part of the brain that processes trillions of things per second. So it goes from conscious effort to unconscious. And when that happens, it just becomes an automatic thought, emotional or behavioral pattern. And once that pattern is set, then our brain doesn't have to expend any conscious effort on doing it. Just like when people are, uh, you know, listening or watching or reading this right now, they're not trying. They're just doing it. But at one point, you had to learn how to hear. You had to learn how to see. You had to learn how to read. You had to learn how to do all the stuff that we take for granted now. And so in the world of neuroscience, what happens is once we have these automatic patterns, 
in most cases, if you want to achieve another level of success, you have to actually unlearn or change the pattern in your brain and formulate a new one. And so you have to take what's automatic now and you have to get that part of your brain to stop running on autopilot. And you have to formulate a new set of beliefs and habits and a new way of mastering and managing your emotions so that you can play at that next higher level of performance and success. And so what's really fun is up until 12, 15 years ago, scientists thought that we were hardwired. You're born a certain way. So you're going to be just like your mother or just like your father or just like your grandparents and you can't change. Well, now we know that not only can you change, we know of processes and methodologies and even new technologies that help make change from the inside out easier and faster than ever before. And just yesterday, I was watching a phenomenal video that was um, playing here in the United States. And there's this woman who's been paralyzed for 12 years. And she has no functions of, of any of her limbs, no legs, no feet. The only thing she could do is move her mouth and her eyes and she can speak. And she, using the power of her brain and a chip that was placed in her brain that was picking up her thought signals, got a robotic arm to pick up a drink, bring it to her mouth, she sipped on the drink, she moved it away from her and put it right back down. Wow. That is where we are right now. We're understanding that we can access the different aspects and parts of our brains and almost like reaching into your brain and making some adjustments on your beliefs and your habits and what causes you to have motivation or inspiration. We know that there's motivational circuits in the brain that we can light up on demand. We know that when there are fear circuits, things that we're afraid of, fear of failing, fear of success, fear of disappointing ourselves or somebody else, fear of being embarrassed or ashamed. We know that those are circuits in the brain that light up based on our past memories and childhood or even adulthood. And the beautiful thing, this is where I get so excited, is we're not only learning that these circuits turn on and off, we're learning how we can turn them on or off. So before when we were victims of these motivational circuits being shut down or these fear circuits being turned on, we can actually turn down the volume on the fear circuits, we can turn up the volume on the motivational and spiritual circuits, we can get this thing that we call our body to move into action more consistently towards the goals and dreams that we all have and, and, and aspire towards. And that is the era that we're in now. We're able to finally, for the first time in the history of our species, get a little bit of the user's manual for the most powerful tool or biocomputer in the world, and that's called our brain. And it's so fascinating and exciting. That's amazing, John. I can see how excited you are when you explain this to us. <laughs> it's a, every day, you know, we're discovering new things. And we're discovering that, it, anyway, we're discovering so many new things. It's, it, it, it gives me so much hope that no matter what trauma, what failure, what horrific or mediocre, horrific experience somebody's had, we can help them let those go so they, they can get on with more confidence and more certainty and trade their life for what they really love. And for me, that is something I want to share with the world is help them retrain their brains a little bit so that they're not held hostage by some of the silent killers that are happening inside their own head that they're not even aware of. And maybe they are aware of it. They may know fear is holding me back. Lack of confidence is holding me back. Lack of certainty is holding me back. My lack of knowledge or skills holding me back. Okay, great. Well, guess what? We know how to help you change that now. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I remember hearing a story that uh, back in the day you were a part of like a gang and you had a pretty rough kind of childhood. How, how did you get into neuroscience? Like what fascinated you at that point in time to really make the switch from a young man to now like someone that's so wise in that area and has a good understanding of 
you know, how it all works? Well, when I was in my, between the age of 13 and 17, I ran with a group of kids who were doing a lot of shoplifting and breaking in entries, and we were just doing things that we shouldn't have been doing, and it was 40 so years ago. And I had, I guess what I call is a breakthrough gift. And my breakthrough gift came from meeting one man who asked me one question that by answering that question, it transformed my life. And I was getting into a lot of trouble. I was, you know, almost going to jail, almost, you know, dying, you know, from getting into trouble with people. And, and he asked me a question. The question he asked me was this. He said, John, are you interested in turning your life around and becoming a millionaire and having a life that has purpose and meaning? Are you interested in that? He says, or are you committed to having a life that you're proud of with purpose and meaning and the financial means to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want it, as you contribute to the world. I'm like, well, what's the difference between the first question and the second question? <laughs> and he said to me, if you're interested, you will do what is convenient. If you're interested, you'll still believe what you believe that you're not smart enough and not good enough and you don't have the skills or the knowledge. He says, if you still are interested, then you'll come up with stories why you can't or why you shouldn't. He says, and that's what people do, is they stay in their comfort zone by using their stories and excuses and their past. He says, however, if you are committed, you will do whatever it takes. He says, you will allow me to mentor you. You will learn how to alter your beliefs and your perceptions and your habits of what you're doing every day. And in doing that, you'll be able to alter how you feel about yourself. You'll be able to alter what you think about yourself. You'll be able to alter what you do every day, which will in turn change your results. And I said to him, I'm committed. I'm in. What do I do? And this, I can tell you the date was May the 1st, 1980. And the reason I know that date was because this gentleman's name was Alan Brown. He owned a real estate company. And on May the 5th, I was enrolled. I had moved 500 kilometers or 350 miles. I'd moved from one city to another to be mentored by him. And I enrolled in my real estate course on May 5th, 1980. And on June 20th, 1980, I got my little certificate that I was a licensed real estate agent. And then he mentored me on how to change my own beliefs about myself, how to stay committed to my goal, how to master my emotions, how to learn how to learn to create strategies and tactics and to do the right things in the right order at the right time. And in my first year with him back in 1980, I made like $30,000, which was more than my father made as a cab driver. Hmm. In my second year, after practicing for 12 months and upgrading my knowledge and my skills, I earned $151,000. And it's not that it was about the money. I became a different person as a result hmm. of him helping me retrain my brain. I became the person who had stronger levels of confidence, stronger levels of certainty, and by no means was it easy, but it was simple stuff. See, I had to do the works. It's like push-ups aren't hard, sit-ups aren't hard, but are you willing to do the work? And I was because I was sick and tired of knowing deep inside my own mind that I wasn't fulfilling my potential. And I was blessed to have learned those lessons when I was young. And that's why I love doing the work I do today because I know from my own experience, but also by having worked with millions of people, whether it's on television or through my books and radios, uh, shows that I've been on, and, and hundreds of thousands of students that have you know, uh, been part of some of our programs, I know that it works, and so my biggest vision is to somehow 
show people, not tell people, show people that they can transform their lives. They can play a bigger game. They can really have more fulfillment. They can have more freedom. They can have more peace of mind. They can earn more money. And it all starts with what's happening inside their own minds first. Yeah, that's right. And isn't it incredible how you can just change the whole game by one simple decision? Someone offers you something and it just like that one powerful question just opens a whole new world for you and that's it. You're wrong with it. I've been sharing that story now for the better part of 15 years. And, you know, my background is not as a public speaker. I, I only do, you know, maybe five or six keynotes. I build companies to help people now, but I've built companies in real estate and technology and the internet uh, and consulting. And so my my purpose hasn't been to share all of my knowledge with the world until I was retired and wrote uh, my first New York Times bestselling book, then a second New York Times bestselling book. Um, and people were like, wow, this is great information. And so I go, wow, maybe I'm supposed to share what I've learned the last, you know, 30 plus years in in working on me. You know, I've worked on me and now I can continue to work on me as I share what I learned with the world. And that's why I'm so fascinated by the latest research and, and the evidence-based stuff. I don't do too well with the hokey pokey, airy fairy stuff. Uh, even though I love metaphysics, but I like to back up stuff with as much scientific evidence as possible. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, look, you've achieved quite a lot of success throughout your life, more than the average person, to be honest. You've achieved quite a lot. At some point, you would have experienced a little bit of fear. So can we talk about fear? Because I think that this is something that really cripples a lot of people from achieving success. Absolutely. I wish you could look at my, my, my wall over here. Actually, I'll, I'll yeah, show you something. Around. <laughs> right, right on the windows oh, is wow. an entire presentation. And right in that whole section is a presentation just on fear. And I'm glad you brought that up because people think that I don't have fears. And what they don't understand is what fears are. And because of the research that we do, any time that you or I and everybody listening or watching or reading attempts to do something that's out of our comfort zone, the fear trigger, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is just an emotional response mechanism in the brain that senses when you're out of your comfort zone. So if you if you say, hey, you know what, I want to go across the room and talk to that guy, or I want to go across the room and talk to that girl, and you don't know them, if you haven't done that, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, or 200 times, you may not yet have the confidence or the certainty or the skill to do that, and that may set off your fear signal in your brain, and that is just a normal response anytime we're out of our comfort zone or our life is in real or imagined danger. And so people ask me about fear right now, and I'm building another global company now, Neurogym, and I'm in a space with people that are so much smarter than I am on the neuroscience, the molecular biology, the neurophysiology, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know a fraction of what these people do. And my fear sensor comes up because I go, "Uh uh-oh, they're smarter than I am. And then another side of me comes on and goes, awesome, I'm uncomfortable, therefore I'm feeling fear. And the way fear expresses itself through your body is through what we call as an emotion that's unpleasant. Mm. Fear doesn't mean stop. Fear means be aware. And you first become aware of, is this fear real or imagined? Is this fear something that's potentially harmful to me that can end my life which is obviously the worst kind of of, uh, outcome and if it's not then you learn how to master the emotion and unpleasant feeling of fear and you learn how to turn your fear into fuel and so there are people that go into the ocean and they are petrified or can't stand the waves but there's others who say hey let me ride the wave on my boogie board or my surfboard Well, fear is the exact same thing. Everybody has fear. You will never, ever, 
ever get rid of fear. The only thing you can do is learn to acknowledge what a fear is, what the cause of it is, and learn how to turn the fear into your fuel to propel you forward instead of move you backwards or cause you, or, or cause you to freeze or fight or run away. It's, it's one of my most favorite topics because we can actually see a fear circuit in the brain light up and that really shuts down the motivational center of the brain and the untrained person does what? goes back into their safety zone. Yeah. But the person who tra is trained how to notice the fear and move forward is the person who starts to master their life and their results. Yeah, I love it. What was that little sound effect? I heard that little like laughing. <laughs> Came in at um, the right time. Every half an hour, I have uh, my computer tells me the time in a funny voice. <laughs> and it's one of my signals to reset any stress, any anxiety, any fear that I may be going through, to remember, have fun. It's just a reminder every 30 minutes. Just chill, relax, take a couple of deep breaths, reset your brain so that you can perform at a higher level of, of happiness, a higher level of effectiveness, a higher level of clarity, and a higher level of focus. <laughs> I love it, John. I love it. You know, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be honest with you and um and real. It, you know, I do a lot of these interviews and sometimes I interview uh, people that I've looked up to for so many years, people that I've like read their books and grew up off them. And I do, I have that feeling sometimes in my stomach where I'm excited, but I also feel super nervous. Yeah. Like what, but how, how can I better manage that? Well, there's a couple of techniques that you can use. Number one is before you even interview them, be well prepared, which you are. Number two is do a, a little breathing exercise of 10 breaths, okay, in and out in a rhythmic fashion where you can create neural coherence between the two hemispheres of your brain. And so whenever we get the, you know, those, that, those butterflies, that could, be, that could be excitement, but it could also be sense this fear. And one of the things that's great with just using your breath is you can actually just create a brain state just to calm yourself down and that is a really really good just in and out breathing 10-15 breaths that's number one and number two number three is before you actually interview these people or before people that are listening or watching right now before you do any activity that you might be fearful of or excited about or you're, you're uncertain if it's fear or excitement I want you to play doing it 10, 20, 30, 40 times in your mind as if it was real and happening in the moment. And what happens is as soon as you start to play a mental movie of actually for you doing the interview one time, two times, three times, five times, 10 times, you'll actually lower the intensity of the nervousness of the butterflies and a lot of times what's happening is in the back of our brain, we're wondering, well, what if I don't ask the right question? What if I sound like a fool? What if I make a mistake? And so whenever we're faced with a situation that we move into that we're unfamiliar with, our first response is coming from the right prefrontal cortex of the brain. It's a part of the brain that goes into your memory banks. And in, in millionths of a second, reminds you of all the times where you've been embarrassed, ashamed, well, where you've, you've failed, whether you've looked like an idiot. And when we do things like we're doing right now, what's, what are we worried about in the back of our minds? Well, I hope I say the right things. I hope I don't stumble on my words. I hope what I say makes sense. And so we have all of this part of our brain that is trying to make sure that it goes into the memory banks first and it brings into the foreground right now into the present moment and into the future all the potential negative consequences of the action that you're about to take mm -hmm. and that's part of the brain that is uh, there by default as the primary first channel that gets turned on 
we have to recognize that's just the way the brain works, but I want to switch it over to the other part of the brain, the left prefrontal cortex, which is the CEO, the executive director, the part of your brain that can solve just about any problem. But most people don't understand that you can actually switch from one to the other, from one to the other. And when one is on, the other is shut off. So why not learn that you have the Frankenstein or the Einstein brain and let's play more with the Einstein brain than allowing the Frankenstein brain to rule us. I love that, the I Frankenstein or Einstein side. Uh, <laughs> so how do we tap into the Einstein, uh, Einstein side of the brain? Well, first and foremost, it's to recognize that you have a variety of different mechanisms in your brain. And when you have an unpleasant emotion, not a bad emotion, there are no such things as bad emotions. Emotions aren't good or bad, they're pleasant or unpleasant, and there's various degrees of intensity. And so when you are in an unpleasant emotional state, you've got to remember that the emotional state is an effect. Right, So when there is an intrinsic, a, an inner thought or a pattern that's firing automatically in your brain that's causing you to feel a certain way that's unpleasant, it's your brain. It's your thoughts. They are your patterns. Well, you can switch those patterns in a second and I'll give you an example. Everybody has been around a crying baby. And have you ever seen a crying baby stop in one second because a puppy comes in the room or somebody brings in ice cream or the parent says, oh, look over there, there's your sister or your brother, or whatever, the baby do that, and they stop instantly? It's a shift from one part of the brain working to the other. And so first and foremost, you really have to be mindful and aware of your emotional state. And there are emotional states that are conducive to being productive, to having clarity, to having focus, and to doing the right things towards your goals. And there are emotional states that are destructive and not moving you towards your goals and dreams. And so since they're our thoughts, our feelings, and yours or my behaviors, well, who's in control of those? The only thing that separates you and I and everybody listening from a horse or a pig is our ability to choose. A horse and a pig has all of the same bodily components that we do. But we have a higher level of ability to choose. And in order to choose, we first have to be aware. And once we're aware and mindful, of our external environment and our internal environment, mentally and emotionally, and we take the time to pause and to ask ourselves, is this the emotion I want? Yes or no? No. Then what should I be thinking about? What should I be doing to change my emotional state? What should I be doing to change my mental state? And then what should I be getting my body to do in order to move it towards what I want. And so the first thing is to accept responsibility. And you can accept responsibility either at the kindergarten level, at the grade school level, at the high school level, university level, or at the pro level. Well, if you want to achieve an amazing life filled with health, wealth, relationships, career, business, spiritual connectivity, fun experiences, charitable contributions, and you want to play at a very, very high level, guess what? There's not a lot of room for mental or emotional or physical mistakes. Mm -hmm. But if you want to play at the kindergarten level, great, blame everybody else. Just you know, go and play in your sandbox and just go have fun. But for those who want to play at a higher level, then you have to upgrade your knowledge and your skills. And by upgrading your knowledge and your skills and upgrading your confidence levels, your certainty levels, and your beliefs and your habits of what you do, you can create what I call is predictable transformations in your own life. And so if you want to play at the pro level, guess what? We already know what pro level thinking is like. We know what pro level preparation is like. We know what mastering your emotions at the pro level is like. We know what behaviors you need to take at the pro level. 
If you're not prepared to do it, that's okay. But stop whining and bitching and complaining that you're not achieving those results. Yep. That's well put. Well put, John. I know a lot of people that are listening to this right now are nowhere near the kindergarten level. I know that, you know, if you're addicted to success, you're serious about That's taking it. those actions. So this is great. No, this is great. So what is disappointment avoidance? You oh. talk about this quite a bit. Yeah. You've done your research, I see, on my work. Well, there is a whole body of evidence that stems back from our childhood wanting to please our moms, our dads, or our caregivers. And whenever we are in the position of disappointing people that we look up to, people that we respect, people that love us and that we love, we will do whatever we can not to disappoint them. And so we will avoid taking action. We will avoid saying something. We will avoid doing something for the fear or the emotion, the unpleasant emotion that comes with disappointing someone else. And there's another part of this that is self-disappointment avoidance. When we think that I'm going to try and achieve this goal that I've been trying to achieve in the past. When we have a lot of references, neurological and emotional references, that we have failed in the past, our brain says, well, you've tried that before five times. Each time you have failed, you've felt bad. Each time you failed, you've been embarrassed or ashamed, or worse, you have blamed yourself, which is what? Shame turned inwards. It doesn't feel good, so I'm going to move away from it. And yours in my brain is wired, genetically wired from billions of years of evolution from a single cell all the way through to, you know, to human beings. We are wired to avoid pain and to gain pleasure, but we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. So part of the way we're wired is we are wired to avoid disappointment. And so when we look at doing something, if there's any chance of disappointing ourselves or others, and we have a memory associated with something like this before, whether it's happened to us or somebody else, the first thing we will do is start to rationalize out of doing it. And the definition of rationalize is we start to tell ourselves rational lies. I won't do it right now. You know what? I don't know if it's worth my time or my effort. Well, let me just do something else right now and I'll come back to it later. We start to talk ourselves out of doing the very things that we need to do to achieve what we really want. And it's all happening at an unconscious level. And so the key is to understand the disappointment avoidance is one of those things that drives our behavior or lack of behavior. And that's what disappointment avoidance is. When my kids were growing up, I would let them know that behavior is unacceptable or that behavior is not going to help you achieve the result or that behavior is not what we want in our family, you I love. So we always separated the behavior with the human being, the beautiful, spiritual, you know, God-made child, you know, and adult. And when, when a child feels like they have a healthy self-esteem, then they start to have healthy beliefs about themselves. And a lot of people today blame a child versus teaching a child to alter his or her beliefs or behaviors around something. And what happens is we end up with a society that's afraid of falling. They're afraid of taking chances. They're afraid of talking. They're afraid of not fitting in. They're afraid of disappointing. And so it's really, really critical for, for parents to work on the language that they use with their children and with themselves, but also in how they teach children that failing is part of growing and failing is a part of the formula for success. 
and you could shortcut the the learning curve of you know from failure to success by learning from the failure of others and that's where you know i just love you know the personal development uh, arenas we can learn so much by the failures of others uh, almost more than through the successes <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, we highlight quite a lot of failures on Addicted to Success and they seem to do quite well. And I didn't, I didn't know whether it's because people like seeing other people fail makes them feel better or they're actually learning from it. I really hope that they're learning from it. So that would be good. Well, there's, when, when you have low self-esteem, mm -hmm. then you like to see other people fail because it makes you feel more comfortable and in resonance with yourself. And when you have high self-esteem, you don't like to see people fail except when they're failing forward and you know that that's going to be for their betterment and good and not for your ego satisfaction. And so what I have found is there are people with you know, high self-worth and high efficacy, which means they have high abilities and they have a really healthy way of achieving whatever they want. There's also people who have low self-worth but high abilities and they could never, ever, ever fill the void of not feeling good enough or smart enough or knowledgeable enough and they work harder than anybody else and that bowl is always empty. And then you've got people with just different combinations of high self-worth but low efficacy, low abilities and those are always the people who are telling everybody else what they should do but they're not doing it for themselves. And so there's a different, you know, set of combinations of of um, of individuals who who have a high self-worth and high self-esteem and high uh, abilities, and every combination will lend itself to how people see the world, how people see themselves, how people see others, and whether they will raise somebody or whether they'll try to put somebody down. Mm. Yeah, great, John. Great. So I know that you talk a lot about uh, evidence-based technologies. That, to transform you from the inside out. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So there are technologies and methodologies that are evidence-based. So for example, the hottest trend and topic right now is mindfulness and stillness. And in mindfulness, you really train yourself to be aware of what's happening right now in your environment what's happening right now within you. And there's technologies that can help you really shut out the outside world to be able to invest in your self-awareness training and your external awareness training. And whether it's meditation, whether it's the sound of bells, whether it's brain entrainment technology, whether it's brain stimulation technology, some of these uh, tech, uh, technologies combined with evidence-based methodologies really help change the neurology. And since we're all vibrating packets of energy that are, is called quanta, then the more you can learn how to be in a highly focused, highly relaxed, highly aware state the less likely you are to react to stuff and the more likely you are to observe and respond. And when you have that microsecond to observe and respond versus reacting out of fear or out of ignorance or lack of confidence or certainty, you can start to really be more in control of what you think and feel and what you do. And when you're more in control of what you think and feel and do, you can direct and focus your energy and attention towards what it is that you're looking to trade your life for and achieve. And it's really a function of are you committed or interested, okay, in achieving your goals and dreams I mentioned earlier. And if you're committed, then think about this. Yesterday I was watching TV and I was watching a show on uh, technological advancements and they were showing um, this woman, as I mentioned, who was utilizing a motor, a robotic arm, you know, just by thinking about it. But there was also uh, another part of the show where they were showing the latest generation of pacemakers. 
but they also went back and they showed pacemakers, you know, 20 years ago where there was a device that was hooked up to your heart that you had to walk around with. <laughs> that was the initial pacemaker. Wow. And now it's just a little, you know, device that's, you know, put subcutaneously, you know, under your skin with wires, you know, that that connect right to your nervous system. And and so there are advancements in the technologies to get your brain to be more aware. There's technologies and brain brainwaves states that are much more conducive to being highly focused, highly energetic, highly um, clear, uh, and also highly more confident and more certain. And there's also methodologies to learn how to recognize your fears, to learn how to recognize your limiting beliefs, to learn how to instill new beliefs you know, that'll give you more confidence and certainty. There's new evidence on uh, what creates habits. How do you release habits that are not helping you and destructive? How do you formulate new habits? And, and so there's new methodologies because we're able to finally look inside the human brain during real life thoughts or emotions or activities and we are now able to see which circuits turn on or turn off, including the gene expression, okay, circuits that, you know, every time you smile, you turn on a thousand genes, okay? So there's, there's so much that we're learning about the neurochemistry of, of positivity, the neurochemistry of sadness or depression. There's so much we're learning because of the advancements in science that, my fun and my passion is doing the research or, or researching the research as well and then bringing the best methodologies for people to be happier, enjoy their life more, be more fulfilled, achieve their goals and dreams faster than ever before and easier than ever before and really help them reach their fullest potential. That's great, John. Yeah, you know, I've invested in quite a lot of your material and Oh, I've, I've listened to uh, a lot of neuroscientists explain, you know, the brain, how it works and biochemistry and everything. And I find that you're, you do really well at explaining it, simplifying it for a lot of like layman's out there, like people that are just kind of just getting into it. Um, and it's great because then they can use what they learn from you and apply it into their life to become successful. So I've oh, got to thank you. you for that. That's great. Now you have the brain. It looks, like the, sun, looks like the sun is coming up in Perth. It is, yeah. It's uh, poor. right now. It's about eight o'clock in the morning. So, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I'm talking to you from the past. <laughs> I'm in the future. Yeah. You're right. in the future. I'm in the past. <laughs> I, I'm what, about 15, 16 hours. Uh, I'm I, f to you. I'm at yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell I'm, you the. Uh, I'll tell you the I'm lottery numbers. <laughs> I'm talking to you for tomorrow in Tomorrowland. <laughs> I love it. So your brainathon that you put out, oh. I, I love it. I've watched probably about five hours of it. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I haven't had a chance to see the whole thing, but uh, it's just jam-packed with amazing information. So can you tell the listeners who haven't seen it, like what can they expect from it? What, how is it different from the other courses that are out there? Sure. Well, first and foremost, it's um, there's about seven, eight hours of free content like the stuff that you know we're sharing today. And I've assembled some of the um, uh, neuroscientists and neuropsychologists, some of the world's leading experts that are doing the best research, but more importantly, helping people apply the research to let go of their fears, their stories, their excuses to let go of maybe past traumas and, and life experiences that are holding them back. Uh, we have not only the, the best, uh, I think about five or six of the top scientists with me on this you know, brain-a-thon, but I also have individuals. Um, strangely enough, one of the individuals who had you know, a massive brain, um, uh, brain uh, stroke uh, and uh, got divorced. He was 26 years old. He just sent me his new book. It just came on my desk. Jonathan oh, Heinrich. Wow. He's on the show of how he was devastated, you know, with uh, with having a severe brain aneurysm and um, how he lo almost lost his life. To to now, he's written a book. He's he's in, he's in his early or late 20s now. Um, to people that have been divorced, that have come back from financial ruin, that have that have been at the bottom of the barrel, that have climbed up, you know, to reach some success, 
all using the latest evidence-based methodologies and technology to help them really achieve more of the good life, which is really what everybody wants. Is you know, They want to be happier and healthier and wealthier and have more freedom and have more time to do the things that they want to do with the people that they want to do it with. And this entire training is free and shows people you know, what the latest ways are. So if you want to be motivated, inspired, learn tools, learn you know, uh, techniques, um, and learn how you can retrain your brain to achieve more success, then the Brain-a-thon is something that you should attend. There you go. I can't believe it's free, to be honest. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot of information. Usually when something's free, it's like 10 minutes, and then, you know, oh, get onto this. But yeah, I love it. absolutely love it. Well, great. Yeah, if people like what I've just shared now, then uh, that's what you're going to get for you know seven or eight hours. If they sign up and watch for you know an hour or two, then we'll send them a replay, and they can watch another hour or two. And and so uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. uh, we've had over a quarter of a million people uh, sign up for our brainathons, wow. and um, and everybody tells us it's some of the best training in the world. If even if they had to pay you know a hundred or two hundred or five hundred dollars to attend, so. That's my goal is to share what I've learned with the world. There you go. Yeah, even a lot of uh, speakers and coaches I talk to uh, speak highly of your your content too. So there you go. Thank Stamp of approval. Very <laughs> much. Love it. So John, I want to end this interview with uh, one last question. And the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Oh... Oh, my last 30 seconds sound like I know it would end with I love you. Uh, I know it would begin with you have within you everything you need and there are people around you that can help you achieve anything that your hearts and minds desire has within it. Wonderful. And that's it. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, John. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. And, uh, you know, if you're listening right now, make sure you head over to Brainathon. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, John. Good day, mate. <laughs> so there you go. If you enjoyed John Asaraf's advice today, make sure you head over to addictedtosuccess.com slash John to join his free Brainathon webinar now.